in a world where most people watch movies and then forget about them. Three brave heroes join forces to watch them again and then talk about them. Join them in their epic journey as they go back in time, a decade and beyond, to revisit and break down films from a vast array of genres. Do these movies hold up over time? Are they classics? Find out on Retro Movie Roundtable. Starring your hosts, Brian Fry, Chad Robinson, and Russell Guest. Coming now to Headphones in Your Ears. Hello, all you lords, ladies, and knights of the Retro Movie Roundtable. Welcome to the show where we watch movies and then talk about them. I am Russell Guest, your host, and joining me today from right here in the great city of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, is my good friend and co-host, Chad Robinson. How are you doing, Chad? I'm excited tonight. I'm using my excited voice. I, I appreciate that, and yeah. I appreciate you telling them that. It's very different from my normal voice. It's extremely not different. <laughs> not different. But anyway, uh, I appreciate you explaining that you're excited. Why are you excited? I'm excited because we've got a new guest host. All right. I'm excited. I love first-time guests, and uh, first-time guest, but old-time friend returning to the show, Mr. Vinay Vaz from Baton Rouge, Louisiana. How are you doing, sir? I'm doing well. How are you guys? Absolutely great. So, Vinay, I knew you back in junior high and high school, and then you moved away to Texas, and uh, this is a great time to reconnect. So, uh, happy to have you back on the show, man. Oh, thank you so much. So, we know you pretty well, but the listeners don't know you that well. Let's get them to know you a little better. It is an election year. Who is your favorite on-screen president? Fiction or non-fictional characters are allowed. Yeah, so I saw that. Um, I think Daniel Day-Lewis in Lincoln is probably uh, my favorite on-screen president. I didn't actually like the movie uh, as a reproduction of Team of Rivals, the book it's based off of, but Daniel Day-Lewis, I thought, really nailed Abraham Lincoln. I'm going a wildly different direction, and Terry Crews is President Camacho from Idiocracy. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's... uh... (laughs) I didn't uh, know. I'm going to go with President James Marshall, okay. who was played by Harrison Ford on Air Force One. Of course. Ah, yes. Yeah, the, uh, the, 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 for good measure, the get off my plane <laughs> is, uh, is my favorite presidential uh, address. I, f- I feel like Vinay had the, the most respectable acting job there. <laughs> well, I mean, I, I used to be uh, work in politics, so I feel like I like the, as, as a history major, I like the actual presidents. Yeah. <laughs> I like the presidents who I, uh, who kick terrorists off their planes. <laughs> we, we can mix it. We can mix it. We can go uh, Abraham Lincoln vampire hunter. Lincoln went against terrorists too, but they were just southern rebels. Yeah, there you go. Uh, I do a uh, shout out to Bill Pullman in Independence Day too. Yeah, I, yeah. I did think about mentioning that. I would. I would vote for Bill Pullman. So, yeah. Yeah. Name a movie, Vinay, that you feel is underappreciated or underrated, and why. So kind of going along this political route, there's a movie called In the Loop by Armando uh, Inanucci. I I can never pronounce his last name. And it's a political satire leading up to uh, the war in Iraq. And it just has, I thought, the best writing for a little movie ever. And I don't think a lot of people know about it. But uh, that's the kind of, if you ever watch the show Veep on HBO, it's very similar. Ah, great shout out on that one. Yeah, I've, I've heard of that one. I just haven't gotten to it yet. How funny is it, and how uh, I guess like piercing is it like for commentary, or is it uh, where does it fall like on the goofy versus insightful line? It's probably in the middle. Like it's not piercing; it's more a lot of cursing and a lot of 
ineptness. So it kind of like shows both like how young people run the government and how like their silly mistakes have big policy influence. I know it's something you kind of have to watch to understand. Well, it's a good endorsement for it. Uh, check it out. Like you mentioned, uh, Peter Capaldi. So if you're a Doctor Who fan, all the more reason to check it out. Yes. James Gandolfini essentially plays Colin Powell. Okay. Oh, that seems problematic. <laughs> yeah, in today's political... So yeah, <laughs> climate, man. That never happens anymore. Um, so uh, you're a big baseball fan as well, Vinay. Is that right? Yes. Go after it. And knowing that uh, we're, we're a month away here from uh, baseball season... What is your favorite baseball movie? Which one do you love the most? Uh, Major League. Oh, really? Do you have a soft spot for the Indians then? No, not so much. I mean, I guess in the 90s I did because Kenny Lofton was one of my favorite players. And they were always battling the Yankees and the Red Sox. But they've kind of fallen off now. And now the Astros and the Indians sort of have a rivalry with Trevor Bauer. Okay. Okay. That's a good choice. Chad, baseball movie for you, man. I'm going to mess this all up again. I'm going to go basketball. That counts, kind of, <laughs> kind of. It barely counts. Yeah, yeah. I'm gonna, I'm, we'll, we'll allow it. Um, and uh, mine's a league of their own. Yep, that's a good one. Oh, yeah. They taught me you can't cry in baseball. <laughs> so that's why I was doing it wrong all those years. Oh, there's nothing but crying in baseball if you're a Pirates fan. Uh. Um, <laughs> uh, and or Indians fans too. They might have won the pennant that year, but they did not win the World Series. That's also true. Anyway, Chad, what movie are we going to do today? We're going to do 1953's Roman Holiday. That's right, Roman Holiday. It is a $1.5 million budget effort. It grosses $5 million, so it gets quite a nice return. Places it 10th on the box office for that year. It comes in just behind uh, Gentlemen Prefer Blondes, which is a Marilyn Monroe movie. And uh, because the numbers for this far back in time aren't very complete. I have no idea what movie places behind it because I only have the top 10 for 1953. <laughs> if somebody out there can please give me box office numbers past, I don't know, 1970, I would much appreciate it. So this segment will get better. But uh, uh, the number one movie from 1953 was Peter Pan. So, hmm. yeah. Yeah, not a big fan. What, what's, what's wrong with you? I don't know. I just, I was never a fan. I didn't oh, like the Darling Children. Didn't like The Lost Boys. I like Captain Hook. Do In our you, discussions of things I rooted for, I was rooting for Captain Hook. Do you prefer the Julie Andrews Peter Pan, like where you have like a lady boy guy playing no, Peter I, Pan? I just, I wanted Captain Hook to win. Okay. You just like antagonists. Yeah. You know, Russell and I were talking about this earlier and how I had a weirder childhood because I was cheering for Gaston and Jafar and Scar and all of these <laughs> people were much better than the heroes unusual uh, trait for a young child to have when watching these movies i'm a little we're still a little concerned for like world dictator or some kind of a, you know i mean super villain that hey, is just waiting to happen here i couldn't get elected class president so i don't think you have to worry about that demand a recount pinky in the brain oh i love pinky in the brain yes yes i i, I would love to take over the world Mm-hmm. I, I I had my daughter, three-year-old daughter, watch that, and uh, there was a great satire of like workplace politics that it probably went wildly over my head <laughs> at a young age. I was like, oh man, this is great. So Roman Holiday is a well-respected movie. IMDb gives it an 8.0. The critics 
of Rotten Tomatoes give it a 98%, so that's about as fresh as it gets. And the audience of Rotten Tomatoes likes it even more than IMDb as well. They give it a 94%, so... I, you know, I don't know where the discrepancy is there. That's a big. That's a big jump. It's always going to be people giving ones on IMDb. I I think that when you see the critics on Rotten Tomatoes, it influences your opinion. Like, if do you want to be that one guy who's like, no, this movie sucks. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, there's always one. Maybe, but this movie comes with three Academy Awards: one for Best Actress, uh, which went to Audrey Hepburn; Best Costume Design; and Best Writing for Motion Picture Story. Academy Awards uh, nominations, it came away with seven, so it uh, lost Best Picture, Best Director, Best Supporting Actor for Eddie Albert, and Best Writing, Best Art Direction, Best Cinematography, and Best Film Editing as well. So, Well, it won Best Writing. It's just confusing because Dalton Trumbo was on the blacklist, so he wrote it under the name of someone else. So, And then the Motion Picture Academy then gave it to Dalton Trumbo. Yes. Yeah, thank you for clearing, clarifying. That is complicated. You're right. It's it's weird that you know Hollywood uh, liberal personalities uh, would get, I guess, investigated. And, yeah. and in this case, Trumbo actually went to jail. Yeah, we had a lot of that. I mean, Charlie Chaplin. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, and uh, it wins a Golden Globe for best uh, sorry best motion picture actress again going to Hepburn. And the BAFTAs, the British Awards, gave Best Actress to Audrey Hepburn as well. So she comes away with a lot of awards on this one. And the BAFTAs also give it three nominations. And the American Film Institute ranks this one quite high. At uh, So of its top ten romantic comedies, it ranks number four on the best rom- romantic comedies of all time. So, Vinay, uh, had you seen Roman Holiday before? If so, what was it like returning to it now? Sure. Uh, so I most recently watched it last week to prepare for this podcast, but before that it had been quite a while. I think it was sometime in maybe 2010-ish in Missouri, uh, a friend of mine introduced me to old rom-coms, and so I watched it with her. And I wasn't expecting that much because I had not watched a lot of black and white films, and it kind of just floored me. Um, it was just like a fun movie, and I thought the writing was amazing, probably why I won the Oscar for Best Writing. Yeah, it's one of those things where... You don't think about a romantic comedy winning an Oscar, right. yeah? Like you don't see that now. <laughs> like, like Chad, what's a what's a what's a recent romantic comedy that like? I mean, I don't know. Help me out here. They are they are going lowbrow now. So, well, I'd say I don't know if it could, it's, I wouldn't call it a rom com, but like Marriage Story was nominated. I didn't think it. Ooh, yeah, that is not comedy. About its writing, yeah, that, that, got, that's heavy. You've got the mm-hmm. stuff like Trainwreck nowadays, or exactly. Yeah, I, I guess I guess kind of what I'm getting at is I can't see a movie this upbeat in general being nominated now. Yeah, the last movie that would be close to this, I would put is like Enchanted, and that's been a really long time. Hmm. Interesting. Now, Chad, had you seen Roman Holiday before? No, I. I mentioned this last time, and I'm probably still going to screw up the names, even though they're not related, but I, I'd never seen an Audrey Hepburn movie. I'm right there with you, actually. We're terrible at this job. Yes. 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 Uh, some, should... right, right letters, fire us. Yeah, you're getting your money's worth. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, so what was it like being introduced to uh, this movie for the first time, though? I get it. <laughs> <laughs> I get why she's a big deal. If it's this consistent across like Breakfast at Tiffany's and other movies that she's been in, yeah, I I get it. I was I had a similar reaction to what Vinay was saying. I was floored. Um, yeah, and I also was uh, unfamiliar with this movie as well as this actress, and uh, I, I was also 
really pleasantly surprised. I knew Gregory Peck from The Omen as well as from To Kill a Mockingbird. And uh, yeah. so I had high hopes coming in just simply because of him being attached to it. But I always kind of just would just see a picture of Audrey Hepburn and kind of be like, uh, I don't get what all the fuss is about here. Right. And um, when, like Chad said, when you watch the movie, you're like, oh, <laughs> she's likable. I get it. Yeah. So uh, just like very similar reaction to both of you guys. And so I was glad that I saw this. And uh, the more and more I studied it, the more and more I thought, man, this is this is really good. And it does like you were saying, Chad, I mean, uh, I guess when a romantic comedy is done this well, it, it, it kind of transcends the genre to some degree. Oh yeah, definitely. I I don't think I would throw this in the same bucket as just chick flicks like uh, Ghosts of Girlfriends Past. That's what I kind of meant. Like we don't see Ghosts of Girlfriends Past getting nominated for Oscars. And it shouldn't. Razzies, yes. Oscars, (laughs) no. Uh, So Vinay, uh, have you been able to? Are are you promoting this to other friends along the way? Are you are you a good advocate for this movie beyond just us here on the show? Last weekend, I was hanging out with some of my co-residents, um, and they were like, oh, we should watch a movie. And I was like, you know what movie we should watch to also prepare me for this podcast, Roman Holiday, and they also loved it. Great. Well, I hope they listen to the show, too, and they also love it. So, <laughs> um, We're going to spoil Roman Holiday and go into depth, so uh, if you haven't seen Roman Holiday, do yourself a huge favor, watch it. It is available, Chad, where? It's on Tubi, T-U-B-I dot com. It'll have a, a few ads in it, but you can watch it for free. Free? That's a very good price. Yes. It's what we get paid to do this. <laughs> I will add that every so often it shows up on Netflix or Amazon Prime. Very oh, good. The, those are also common services as well. So, uh, it's, or it's not there right now, but just on occasion it pops up. Yeah, I get it. The older movies, uh, they drift in and out. And yeah. So, But uh, one worth checking out. It's going to be high demand after this podcast. I hope so, yeah. <laughs> Uh, all those uh, Hepburn fans that uh, we, uh, are already on it, and they're sitting there going, like, what is your all's deal? We already know when it hits Netflix. All right, so uh, we'll be back after these messages. So driving instructor Simmons, how did I do? Well, Wendy, it's your 13th time taking the test, making it a baker's dozen. Let's review, shall we? You began your test by hitting nine cones, then leaving the driver's course by passing through a fence. You then signaled left, turned right across three lanes of traffic into oncoming traffic. Is that bad? It's not good, Wendy, because then you exceeded speed limits of 120 miles per hour and the hood of the car spontaneously combusted. You then drove off of a bridge, landing in a lake, and I should note that I didn't deduct you the points because landing in the lake put the fire out. Yay, that's nice. You then miraculously drove the car out of the lake and then provoked a car full of heavily tattooed and armed Korean gang members in a drag race. While you won the race, the Koreans were sore losers and shot the car full of lead, wounding me in my leg. But there is also good news, Wendy. Really? Yes. This time, your driving instructor remained in the vehicle at all times, and you responsibly played the retro movie roundtable the whole time. You gave the show a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts, downloaded the show on Stitcher, Google, Spotify, and other various sources, and I also appreciate that you liked the show on Facebook and told all of your friends to listen. You also emailed the show at RetroMovieRoundtable at Yahoo.com. Now, due to the Retro Movie Roundtable, you offset your other heinous infractions in past your driver's exam. Wendy, you're far from a good driver, but you passed your exam and you did well enough to earn yourself a driver's license here in the great state of Florida. Wow, thanks, Retro Movie Roundtable. I couldn't have done it without you. All right, we're back. And this is your final warning. We will have spoilers that lie ahead. So if you haven't seen Roman Holiday, you may want to go back, watch it, and return after this. Chad, for people who haven't seen Roman Holiday since 1953, it's the year my dad was born. So if you haven't seen Roman Holiday since my dad was born, uh, <laughs> we want to tell people what happens in it. 
What an odd frame of reference, sir, but sure. Princess Anne, who's played by Audrey Hepburn, is aboard Royal on a goodwill tour of Europe. She breaks down in hysterics and is giving a calming aid, but slips out of the embassy to avoid another day's worth of boring meetings. Kind of wish I could do that at my job. Uh, Meanwhile, Joe Bradley, who's played by Gregory Peck, is an American reporter in Rome who's on the verge of getting fired after he sleeps in and lies about getting an interview with this very same princess. Uh, She called off the royals say it's due to sickness. As luck would have it, Bradley runs into a loopy Anne that evening, and after failing to get a taxi to take her home, returns to his flat with the presumably drunk woman to let her sleep it off. The next morning, Joe finds out who Anne really is and takes up his boss on a bet that he can get an exclusive interview with Anne. Joe and Anne hide their true identities from each other while touring Rome and enjoying their freedom. They slowly fall for each other even as government agents try to track down the missing princess. Eventually, Anne concludes they cannot be together and leaves Joe at the end of their adventures without revealing who she really is. The next day, Joe and his photographer friend Irving show up at the delayed press conference for Princess Anne. Irving hands over pictures he'd taken of the princess and Joe, and then Joe lets Anne know her secret is safe. Anne lets Joe know she appreciates their time with words she says uh, while she was drugged when she initially meets him, so happy. She reluctantly departs after the presser, but Joe lingers, wondering what could have been. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, a little bit of a sad ending, I guess. I I found myself in the odd position of like young lady in the audience going, oh, I want them to be together. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Don't uh, leave. Maybe that's one of the things that maybe makes it a little bit different from a romantic comedy because things usually do work out. Like he gets to be the prince now or something like that. Yeah. So I, I didn't I didn't honestly see this coming. Or she pulls a Meghan Markle and leaves. Like maybe that could have been the inspiration. <laughs> yeah, maybe. maybe. Um, <laughs> but no. <laughs> I know there was a lot of pressure to make a sequel and I'm very glad they did that. Yeah. Yeah, I, I wish more people would not give in to that pressure. Roman Holiday 2, Electric Boogaloo. <laughs> Roman Roman Holiday 2. How uh, how Princess Anne got her groove back. Yeah. Uh-huh. Or coronavirus. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, Vinay, what for you makes this a good rom com? Because I think I think we were kind of alluding to it. This is a, this is perhaps a diluted genre, and particularly in modern times, what is it that differentiates it for you? I mean, we, we kind of talked about it. Is that it doesn't have that sappy ending at at the end. Um, and then I think it also focuses a lot on um, relationships with other people. Like some some of the best jokes are between Audrey Hepburn and uh, Eddie Albert, who plays Irving uh, Radovich. Oh yeah. Or the interaction between Gregory Peck and Eddie Albert. And so it's not just focused so much on their actual romance all the time. And it's also to some extent a tourist film. It shows you all of Rome. Like I know when they. We're making the film they had the budget to either shoot it in color because color had just come out or shoot it on location in rome and shooting it in rome i think was the right decision it made me i think in 95 i went to rome but there were so many places in this movie that i had not been to it definitely made me want to go back i've not been to rome and yeah this movie definitely makes me want to go there it's quite a travel oh, yeah. for sure um now a lot of the movie success kind of like what you mentioned kind of going back to the Meghan markle kind of comment the film success was off like 
kind of a happy timing. It was attributed to the public's fascination with Britain's Princess Margaret, mm-hmm. who was creating a stir with her highly publicized relationship with commoner Peter Townsend. Now, I thought Pete Townsend, that's awesome. It's not Pete <laughs> not Townsend. Yeah, it's not Pete Townsend from The Who. It's, this guy's not as cool as uh, Pete Townsend, but he is more handsome than, than Pete Townsend. <laughs> Russell's like, won't get fooled again. <laughs> uh, the princess uh, was forced to renounce her true love in that case and was divorced and uh, was forced to marry more suitably. So very much a parallel to this. Yeah, this was weird because it's hard to watch movies nowadays that will make you feel a little bit empathetic for rich people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, it is one of those things. But I mean, this movie shows you that uh, princesses are people too. I, I think they kind of show you that that lifestyle, like while glamorous and this is not a, this is not a Disney princess kind of situation. Yeah, no, no birds landing on her shoulders, someone singing just boring meeting after meeting and you know these meaningless get-togethers and pleasantries yeah yeah i did think at the first part of the movie i had to stop and then continue my my first time through i was like when she runs away from the palace or whatever sitting there going like this this is aladdin all over again <laughs> yeah, and, you made that comment to me i'm like not following yeah well i mean uh I, i'm disappointed there wasn't a flying carpet in it <laughs> talking tiger but I mean, there's a scooter that kind of runs off on its own. That's true. And uh, Vespa. And the Princess Anne discovers a whole new world of gelato. Yes. And haircuts. And haircuts. Oh, man. Unfortunate haircuts, though, I say. <laughs> uh, um, Somewhere Brian's crying because he loves the pixie cut. Uh, yeah, that's right. Uh, we'll, we'll give equal representation to Brian on that one. It's, it's very heartwarming. Is it the focus of the two characters that that's working so well? Or what are the parts that, again as a story for you are working well here. So for me, I think it was the combination of the story because as we kind of said, it relies on that her duty to her country. I think at the end where, you know, she returns and she's being scolded and she says that, you know, if I wasn't keenly aware of my duty, I wouldn't be here. So it has that element. But then also, again, the the slapstick nature of it as well between like, I mean, I, I just watched it last week and I'd completely forgotten how much I enjoyed that cafe meeting when Irvin walks up to them uh, while they're having champagne and Joe Bradley is trying to prevent him from saying that she looks exactly like Princess Anne. Yeah, keeps kicking the chair over. In fairness, I'm probably as dense as Irving. I would need to have more than one thing spilled on me as well. (laughs) And then going back to that at the end with the photos as well. Oh, yeah, yeah. One thing I thought was nice about this was, so this this seems like a typical trope of a romantic comedy where the guy gets into this for like to make money and he's not getting into this relationship for necessarily the best causes. But normally a romantic comedy today would go through a scene where it was unveiled and uh, you'd have a musical number where she doesn't like him and then he has to go through some large motion to get her back. This quite simply was very simple and far more realistic in terms of Gregory Peck's character, Joe, she says to him, you're so kind to have done this for me. And it really means a lot to me. And it's like right there in that moment, he feels guilty Mm -hmm. and he throws it out basically. And later on, there's no story written, but it's not necessarily the biggest revelation. It's very, very organic. That's something like when you realize, Hmm, I'm not doing a nice thing here. Yeah. And that's a very, he wasn't filmed shirtless for no apparent reason. 
like every Matthew McConaughey movie from the early 2000s. As a UT grad, that's Professor McConaughey. <laughs> <laughs> Gregory Peck, though, I uh, I did think stood out. Like I thought it was odd that like all of his friends are like considerably older, like dra- bedraggled, kind of bedrazzled, like kind of like people that he was playing cards with. And I was like, it's like there's an extremely tall, handsome man who's dressed better than all of his peers here or whatever and also he got out of bed in the morning and like his hair was like perfect yeah and uh, so yeah it, to some degree it is the mcconaughey effect i mean he he looks good throughout this movie that's fair just saying no no gratuitous shirtless shots i don't know if they had those in the 50s i don't know i'm sure they did i mean they talked about him wearing pajamas at one point i mean it it was later but we look at uh sean connery coming out of the water that's true yes. Yeah. That that was not for us. No, it wasn't. But Ursula Anders was, so. Yeah. <laughs> no, but uh, so Paramount made an agreement with the British government. They stipulated that there would be no mention made, though, of that uh, Princess Margaret and the kind of the scene between that. So did you guys notice how they really tiptoed around this being a British princess? And they kind of just said the the embassy for her country or she represents her country. And it was just kind of like. Uh, for me, Princess Anna started to feel like Fez from the 19- from that 70s show. <laughs> yeah. She's like, where is she from? Or an exchange student, yes. No, I, I will definitely agree that was the most annoying part of the mil- movie is how they tiptoed around where she was from. Yeah. I thought they were just making up an imaginary country for the sake of doing that. Bizola. Yeah, why not? Yeah, sure. I, I'll actually say that I agreed with you, Chad, that up until I watched it on Friday, I never thought about it specifically being... Uh, uh, the British uh, royal family. And then when I watched it Friday, I was like, oh, I know why they're doing this now. She's supposed to be Princess Margaret. Oh. Well, she's uh, she's so British. I mean, she can't be anything else. Why not? I mean, Britain took over a lot of countries. I mean, it's, it's, she, she doesn't sound Russian. She doesn't sound Austrian. I mean, uh, can Audrey Hepburn be anything but British? Uh, I think she's half Dutch. Oh. (laughs) So, yes. Okay. And we made British accents into everything that was aristocratic. So it didn't matter what country you were actually representing. Look at all the Roman films that we get. Yeah, that's a good point. Where everyone that's... And also, I will say the Dutch probably speak better English than the English. Ooh, hot take. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, The Vandersloots are doing better. (laughs) Uh, no, but I mean, that's a great point. I mean, every every Roman movie is automatically a British accent, <laughs> which is, uh, I guess if they had to put any accent, I guess people just don't like to watch a whole movie with Italian accents. I guess. I guess. Let's do a cast rundown, Chad. First build, and this wound up being sort of controversial eventually, was Gregory Peck. He is Joe Bradley, our lazy American reporter who stumbles upon the princess. Then we have Audrey Hepburn who is Princess Anne, the bored royal who wants to escape her stuffy lifestyle. Uh, Vinay mentioned Eddie Albert. He's Joe's photographer friend, comes up as a slapstick comic relief later on. Got Hartley Power, who is Hennessy, Joe's newspaper editor. Harcourt Williams, the ambassador for Princess Anne's country. And last for me was Margaret Rawlings, who plays... Countess Vereberg, the lady-in-waiting for Princess Anne. And she's every bit as unpleasant as the name Countess Vereberg would be. I mean... I liked her. Oh, what? I did. Yeah, this comes from the guy who was rooting for Scar. (laughs) (laughs) 
She had the schedule down and all that. Yeah. Like yeah, that. yeah. She probably hangs out with Captain Hook. She reminded me of, uh, I, I don't watch these movies, so everyone just write me angry letters, but the, the older lady in Harry Potter that's doing the uh, the lecturing, the headmaster. Oh, McGonagall. Sure. Yeah. Sure. She reminded me of that character. Okay. Yeah. I am I'm old. not with you on that. There's, there's there's some warmth from that character, so I don't I'm not going on that. From this this character just seemed mean to me, but uh, I'm old and just angered our younger audience viewers. One thing that I thought was a bit odd, Vinay, did you buy Gregory Peck as this like slacker character? Because again, he's always so put together. I had a little bit of a hard time buying him as the, uh, uh, I guess guy floating by. Yeah, no, you're definitely right because he's always hard up for cash. And yet he's always wearing the nicest things. Yeah, wherever he is on any street, he's he's like he he's, he stands out. And like <laughs> at the same time, like he's like, if I could just afford to go back to America, see, I, like, I kind of got an Orlando Calrissian feel from from him. Like he has fine things, but he's kind of gonna lie, cheat, and steal his way through life. So I I I was fine with it. It took me a second to get over. My first introduction, and I'm sure most, was To Kill a Mockingbird. Oh, yeah. Like, Atticus Finch is lying, cheating, and... And, and now he's better call Saul. <laughs> that, that's true. Like, I mean, maybe that was part of why I was having him a hard time, like, when he was sitting there, like, lying to his, like, press editor. was like, yeah, I went to the interview, when the interview totally didn't happen because they claimed that she was sick, but he doesn't know that. He's just coming into work late. And uh, he's like, oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, she said there would be uh, two effects, the direct and the indirect, <laughs> the direct of course would be more direct than the indirect initially and i mean i'm sitting there going like i i don't know this is atticus finch he makes a very good argument most of the time i don't know this this is this shoe doesn't fit he stands for truth and justice yes in the american way like superman gets ethics lessons from him (laughs) (laughs) Uh, but uh no great point on that and i think maybe maybe knowing him as atticus finch which he had not done yet when he did this, in fairness, yeah, um, is is lingering in my mind. Uh, now, Gregory Peck's role was originally written for Cary Grant, which apparently, like every movie at the time, seemingly yes. was, and uh, you know, but he thought he was too old to be Audrey Hepburn's love interest, although it didn't bother him later in the movie yeah. Charade, <laughs> five or six years later. Yeah, but uh, anyway, so Cary Grant did not do this. Gregory Peck was excited to do it because he wanted to do a romantic comedy. And uh, so he jumped at the opportunity. Well, he wanted to do a comedy in general. Yeah. And uh, which is hard to see him doing given his career. But uh, he did want to take that lighter, fun direction. And so uh, he hopped on it. And uh, we kind of talked about this. Vinay, what, what is Gregory Peck doing for you in this movie? Yeah. like So I think he's always got that like wry smile to him that, you know, makes you see him as this kind of villain or sleazy guy early, but also believe that he's an inner good guy the entire time. There's a warmth to his character, for sure. Yeah, sincerity is what stuck out to me. He, he always felt sincere in his scenes with Audrey Hepburn, and they had a real connection, so it was all pluses in my books. I, I overcame the Atticus hurdle. The... Uh... The part where it was supposed to be Cary Grant. Now, I'm not as versed with Cary Grant, but personally, I find Gregory Peck's character to have a lot of warmth in him. And I actually think that this is a blessing for this movie. Yeah. That they got Peck on this one. So, And sounds like he was very cool and supportive as well of Audrey Hepburn. He said that he wanted her name up above the title with his name at the mm-hmm. top and uh, said that, uh, you know, she's going to be winning an Oscar for this role. So they need to put her name above the title. So they yeah. did. And... uh 
She did. That was really cool. Yeah, that's uh, an unusual thing for that time period. I, I'll throw this out there, and I is there's the scene with the uh, mouth of truths, and that was a very Gregory Peck thing because from what I've I've read is that when he put his hand in into the mouth, Audrey Hepburn did not know that he was going to act like it had gotten bitten off, and so that was a genuine reaction. Huh. Yeah, that was a great gag. I loved it. Yeah, I don't know if you would have gotten that gag with any other actor. I'm with you, and I mean, that was a moment where this movie, I mean, does what a romantic comedy is supposed to do, and I just found myself smiling a yeah. lot. And the warmth of his character, as well as the brightness transitioning as we're talking to uh, Audrey Hepburn, I mean, she seemed genuinely enjoyable to be out doing regular things. And right. That, that really came across in her character. Now, Hepburn won the Academy Award uh, for this one, and uh, even more than Peck, this is a great movie for her. Uh, Vinay, what is it you like about Hepburn's performance? So Hepburn, I think we talked about this a lot, is just kind of comes across as this girl next door, the most like likable uh, actress in everything she does. So I, I think I kind of developed a celebrity crush on her after seeing this movie and went on and saw movies like uh, To Catch a Thief or and uh, How to Steal a Million Dollars and Funny Face just beca- and Sabrina just because of how much I loved her in this film. You're not alone. I mean, people did... I mean, she was an icon for a time. And if I'm not mistaken, this is her first movie. It wasn't her first movie, but it's her first American film and first major film. She'd done some... I think it was Italian cinema. Okay. Because they say at the beginning of the movie, introducing. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, it was the big American film. Got it. Yeah. Winning an Oscar in your first, you know, headliner role is a pretty great way to start. Yeah, absolutely. She deserved it. Any other thoughts on Hepburn, Chad? She is just immensely likable. And credit to William Wyler as well and the writers of this movie. But they didn't make the mistakes of making her do something just for the sake of conflict and to be irritating. But she does. She has, Vinay mentioned the girl next door, but she had this sweetness and this innocence as she's doing mundane things that still made me smile, like getting a haircut. That would be an immensely hard scene to make enjoyable and make it seem like she's delighted and we're happy for her, but she did. (laughs) She brings a joy to just these mundane things. Gelato. Yeah. Yeah. She, uh, you know, uh, waking up in a crappy little apartment or whatever. I mean, it seems to be all of it's an adventure for her. And so she, you're right. She conveys that fish out of water. Wearing pajamas. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, she got her wish. She I did. was so glad for her. She mentioned earlier wanting to try that out. Yeah. Uh, but Audrey Hepburn gets the uh, role thanks to a legendary screen test. She performed a scene in the film, and they inst- they kind of instructed her uh, the cameras to keep rolling after the directors had cut, and several minutes of unrehearsed, spontaneous, just Hepburnism was captured on film. And that kind of authentic nature of who she is won her the role. To your role's point, that likability seems to be inherent in her and like they realized they had a star and uh they did look at some other people initially gene simmons uh was william Wilder. not not the guy from kiss not the guy from kiss yeah. <laughs> that would have been a fun movie <laughs> suddenly i need another it was parallel universe <laughs> gene simmons uh was uh, actually uh an actress uh slated to play and Weiler wanted for his first choice and also Suzanne Coltier and uh, Elizabeth Taylor. But they couldn't afford any of these people. Yeah, and they also didn't want the job. So it's kind of interesting. This project gets passed over by Cary Grant, Elizabeth Taylor, Gene Simmons, and some bigger names. It's hard to imagine Gregory Peck getting scraps or Audrey Hepburn getting scraps, but kind of. That's what happened. And 
they were both rewarded handsomely for it. So, But Hepburn was a Broadway person before this. She had uh, been on Broadway in Udine with her future husband, Mel Ferrer, and uh, she won Best Actress uh, on Roman Holiday, but later that year won a Tony for Udine, making her one of only two actresses to win the Oscar and the Tony in the same year. And Ellen Burstyn was the other. Don't ask me what she did it for. <laughs> that's, that's the extent of my information on that. We did not research it. No, but... Uh, in the same year as the uh, that, that that's pretty cool. Yeah. So you break through while exhibiting mastery in one form of, and the other. So, um, and uh, I thought a really cute, endearing story about Hepburn as well. She wins the Oscars, and she's she's just so excited. She kisses uh, the Academy president who's presenting the award, Gene Hershort, on the mouth, and uh, uh, and then you know just minutes after accepting the award, uh, she she realizes like, where's my trophy? And so, like, she's, like, trying to retrace her steps, and she left it in the bathroom. Yeah. So uh, she's just that excited. I thought William Wyler's comments, uh, I mean, a little bit sexist at the time, but they were very interesting. In the 50s? Well. Go ahead. Yeah. Sorry. I, I, I have to paraphrase. Sexism in the 50s? Yeah. Yeah, shocking how he described her, but he didn't want this curvy Italian actress that kind of was in vogue to cast, so he... Saw Audrey Hepburn, and he describes her as having, uh, again, paraphrase, uh, no breasts, no butt. Uh, long neck. Yeah, long neck. Yeah. No, It was like no form to her at all. She'll be a sensation. And I was like, that's the world's most backhanded comment, compliment. Well, she was. Yeah. She's she's beautiful. I'm, yeah. I'm just looking at all of that like, okay, what a strange thing to say. Yeah. And to... to... I, I, there's something about like a photo, like again, if you show me a photo of Elizabeth Taylor, you go like, wow, okay, she she's a very pretty lady, and like uh, she, she's crazy later, yeah, she's I, crazy. I get how she went through seven husbands. <laughs> yeah, uh, I, I get it. Um, but on the other hand, Audrey Hepburn's kind of the opposite. If you show me a picture of her, you go like, okay, yeah, th- that's Audrey Hepburn. But maybe to Vinay's point, and maybe as you've watched these other movies, you can confirm this. But uh, I I did kind of guess like, oh, I get why she's a big deal. Yeah. So. Uh, does she continue to be as likable through these other films that you were mentioning that you had seen, Vinay? Yes, definitely. <clears throat> so I, I'm not actually sure that Roman Holiday was the first one I saw. I'm trying to remember if it was or wasn't. I know I saw Funny Face as a kid with my parents, but I didn't remember it very well later on in life. And I remember really liking that movie. But yes, no, she, she's the same actress in all of her films. What is your favorite Hepburn one of just of the ones you have seen? Uh, so my, my favorite is Roman Holiday, which is why I suggested it. Perfect. Uh, but aside from that, I would say probably To Catch a Thief. That one jumps out at me as one I want to see soon because I, I was looking through some things. Obviously, Breakfast at Tiffany seems to be a, a standard like yeah, as well. I've got to get that one checked off. As uh, a fan of the 90s one-hit wonder song by Deep Blue Something, I, I, I am curious. Sure. I, I think it's probably more overrated than her other films. So I, I'd actually say she plays a very different character in that than some of her other films that I didn't find as likable, but I know obviously a lot of people did, or at least sort of kind of liked it. So Vinay, did you happen to see anything more? Uh, you mentioned earlier about Dalton Trombo being blacklisted. Did you happen to see a little more on this story by chance? Um, I mean, so I've watched the movie Trombo, which kind of outlines him. Uh, I don't remember it very well because it's been a few years, but essentially that he was mentioned uh, on the communist blacklist by someone and then was being invested by McCarthy and so was unhirable in Hollywood. And so what he was doing is to make a living writing 
lots of stories and then crediting it to other writers who weren't blacklisted, uh, which is what happened with, I can't remember the guy's name, Ian McClellan. Hunter. Hunter, yeah. Yeah. Uh, was like a friend of his that he just wrote everything in his name and then gave him a portion. Uh, Ian McClellan gave him a portion of the proceeds of whatever he sold. It's a good deal for Ian McClellan. <laughs> yeah. And then once all of this kind of blew over, then the Academy went back and recognized him. Yeah, yeah. So he got $50,000 payment uh, now, to, and, and to receive this, the job on behalf of Trumbo. So that's a good deal. Yeah. You mentioned him going to jail. I did not remember that from the movie. But again, it's been a while since I've seen it. So I'll have to read up on that. Yeah. And, uh, and to correct things, in 1993, the Academy finally presented Trumbo's wife uh, with an Oscar to kind of make up for things well after the yeah, too too late after you die. It's kind of a late, my bad. Yeah, it is a late. I want to say actually, now that I think about it, in the movie, like they weren't expecting the movie to do as well, or like when he wrote it, and so he might have even just like made up the name, and then they changed the name to someone he knew. Because I remember one of the plot points of that movie was them being very worried that it was going to win an Oscar when he wrote it instead of whoever was credited. Hmm. Hmm. Interesting. To add to my confusion in this film, as far as were they British, weren't they? They actually cast Italian nobility in the background. So there was, this was real Italian nobility, and they wound up donating their salaries to charity, but not British-looking people. Well, you need to get some people who seem properly stuffy. Yeah, I, I suppose. I like that they use real reporters, too. They're just like, hey, everybody get in here. We can't pay you at all. No. <laughs> yeah. And so director Frank Capra actually bailed on this project again second nobody nobody's the first choice for this project the cinematographer too he got sick (laughs) george stevens was the next director to inherit the project but he declined as well and uh it was then offered to william wyler who was coming off of the back of two very weighty dramatic movies the heiress from 1949 and the detective story from 1951 and uh, he was really glad to take on some lighter subject matter kind of like gregory peck was just glad to try something lighter also he was kind of keen to work abroad because uh, he was uh looking to exploit a tax loophole yes as well. the, the adam <laughs> adam sandler strategy yes film in location where i can take a vacation that's how they landed william wyler who uh, again as we chatted mentioned we covered later he's later goes on to be the director of ben-hur yes amongst other things he's, he's a very accomplished director so paramount originally wanted to shoot in hollywood kind of like what vinay was saying and they refused and insisted that they had to shoot it on location in, in italy to a lower budget which as vinay mentioned meant they had to go away from using color to black and white and this is kind of one of the things you mentioned you're not a big black and white movie watcher vinay did you enjoy watching it in black and white or would you want to actually have had the money to make this into color I mean, I think it's one of those things that had it been made in color, I would have never thought twice about it and still love the movie. But now that I'm sentimentally attached to it in black and white, I couldn't imagine it any other way. Interesting. Interesting. What about you, Chad? I don't think the black and white detracts from it at all. Uh, Obviously, touring around Rome, you might want to see some of the vibrancy there, but I like the black and white. I really do. Oh. I was going to say, I do remember a scene where she buys something in the market, and I'm like, I think that's a watermelon but i can't tell because it's a black and white (laughs) is it a squash yeah what was his plan with it like i'm gonna bump into you in the market with my watermelon because he doesn't stick to that plan for very long he's just like (laughs) he just like hands it to like a a, a child or like a was it a young woman or something like that he's like he's like here we've already seen he was really bad at scheming okay true it's just reinforcement 
<laughs> the other thing that I thought was interesting about this, I did want to see it in color. I thought, I thought, like you said, the richness of the environment. I think something's very romantic about Rome and the setting that they're in. And I think it's a bit of a shame. They made $5 million off of $1.5 million capped investment. Apparently, again, Paramount had some money that was tied up overseas. So they kind of said, you can use this $1.5 million that we have over there, but that is it. They still went 700000 over budget, something like that. I... Uh, yeah, they took too long to yeah. make it. So yes, they did. They did do that. Good point. Not to say that a black and white isn't obviously dated, but I feel like it would actually be more if filmed in color. Like the quality of the Technicolor compared to now might actually make it seem more dated. If that makes sense. Oh, okay. Yeah. I, I've heard that before. Yeah. 2019's The Lighthouse. It was shot in a different aspect ratio and black and white. Mm-hmm. It's good stuff. Yeah, yeah. And, and there's there's good black and white movies along the way. You're absolutely right, Vinay. So I mean. Uh, I always like to ask that question because, like, when we did um, Asphalt Jungle yes. a little bit earlier this year, it was it was in that noir style and time, and it just felt so right for the movie. Yes, it did. But I felt like this travelogue, to your point, like, again, I'm such a Bond fan. It always comes, like, you say travelogue, my head goes to that. Uh, when you're watching these Bond movies from different time periods, it's such a wonderful encapsulation of the time and all these wonderful locations. So it, it's, it is kind of neat to see the texture of what Rome was like at this point in time. So I, yeah, that's true. I kind of wanted to see that. Fair enough. Yeah. One of the reasons why Weller was so anxious to film in Europe was he wanted to put some distance besides, uh, also between himself and the House of Un-American Activities Committee, uh, kind of all this investigation in the Hollywood zone. He himself was being uh, felt some threat with uh, his liberal stances and politics as well. Yeah. This is also strange to me because now... Hollywood is like 99% liberal. I think it was pretty liberal then, too. Yeah. It's just that's why it was getting attacked. Yeah. I mean, uh, it, somehow it seems somewhat believable for today's time. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I could, I could actually see something like that happening again. Like, we're going to go after Hollywood. <laughs> or or they just go after the remaining conservatives. It's like, we're going to take down Clint Eastwood and uh, Tim, I, Tim Allen? Yeah. I was going to say... If, if you uh, go after the Hollywood liberal, do you have anybody left to make movies afterwards? <laughs> it's, it's, uh, oh, Kirk Cameron. He's left. <laughs> That's not great. Yeah. Uh, Clint Eastwood in a one-man show. Yes. Talking yes. to a chair. <laughs> what did you think about Weiler as a director, Vinay? I mean, I definitely thought it was filmed and directed very well. I liked the final product. Well, I mean, I think he did a good job of pacing and storytelling. It's a two-hour movie, which is actually kind of long. But at the same time, it doesn't feel long to me, does it to you? He's the king of long movies that do not feel that long. Ben-Hur was almost four hours long. Did you feel like Ben-Hur did not feel very long? We did. We all came away like, yeah, we lost half of an afternoon, but it didn't feel like it. Yeah, it didn't feel like it was time like wasted at all. Like, yeah. I mean, there's, there's, a, there's a last chapter on Ben-Hur that made me kind of go like, okay, this is, this is really going on for a while, but I mean... Honestly, that was well into the movie by the time I was saying that. Yeah, I mean... I, I would say the issue I have probably with Ben-Hur is the only time I've seen it is on when it used to air on TNT all the time. Oh, yeah. Oh, you watch it with commercials? Uh, yeah. Oh, man, you you, knew, you would need to shave after watching that. Yeah. Because like, that... like, you would have, like, a beard. That is, like, two extended editions of Lord of the Rings. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you probably look like Tom Hanks out of Castaway by the yeah. time that that wraps up into credits, so... <laughs> He's... William Wyler is honestly a reason... One of the main reasons I picked this, it's like, okay, he's back doing something involved with Rome. This isn't sword and sandals, but I want to see what he does here. And he didn't let me down. I, He's rapidly becoming someone that 
I want to see the rest of his films other than Wuthering Heights because I hate that book. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry for everyone else, but like The Collector is probably high on my list. Interesting. I, I, I tried to find, and again, Ben-Hur is the only other movie of his that I had seen. I was trying to find some similarities between the two, but Ben-Hur is like this gigantic, epic, biblical movie, and this is just something so very different from earlier in his career. And I did not, uh, I didn't see a lot of overlap personally, but I mean, I, I enjoyed myself, and he was showed capability with di- doing different kinds of movies, and so I'm going to give him like, a lot of credit on that. Yeah, he, he still had a vehicular-type scene. That's memorable with the Vespa. Oh, yeah. And he had the big brassy kind of Roman score, so. Okay, yeah. I'm stretching a lot. Yeah, I was going to say, I was going to say, Ben Hur's score is amazing. (laughs) Yeah, Um, it really is. No, but uh, cinematography-wise, there were some things that kind of made me, there were just moments of inconsistencies through there that kind of like, when they were at the, the, the Hand of Truth scene, like they did this like this weird zoom in. It was kind of like shaky cam early on. And I, I found myself going like, that was an odd choice or like, I didn't see that coming. Yeah. And um, well, I mean, I, I'm not remembering that particular shakiness of the camera, but I'll say that I do feel like it's interesting because at that moment, right, you still know that he's lying to her. So if you have any superstition belief at all, or like you kind of are expecting it to bite his hand off. Well, I, I did like that she turned it on him, like because she definitely yeah. had hesitation on her face. It's like yeah. I better not do that because I'm lying constantly <laughs> all day long about do it. everything. And then he's like, "Sure." And then he like was like, "Oh wait, I'm lying about everything all day long." <laughs> yeah, but with the initial cinematographer getting sick and being replaced, that might have something to do with it. I don't know how much cinematographer A shot and cinematographer B shot. I don't know. If that's causing some of the jarring. Maybe. And I also think that it's, I mean, to some degree, I'm sure if Brian were sitting here saying movies progress to some degree. And so like when they're on the, when they're on the Vespa, I mean, it seems a little rough. I mean, I want to be closer to their faces and focus a little more, but I mean, I am probably being a little bit unfair and wishing for difficult filming practices that we have today that they they didn't have then. Oh, I like the Vespa scene where it was. You could see the Coliseum in the background, and I thought it was a a good wide angle. I I think they really, since they made all the effort of traveling to Rome, they wanted to make sure that Rome was Hmm. in the background. Good point. Okay, I was I wanted to focus on the face on that one. Another one that really the architect bu- not wanting architecture in the background. What is happening? <laughs> I'm I'm saving up on that. <laughs> um, just wait, I'll I'll redeem myself. Um, so uh, one thing that also kind of bugged me, Vinay, did you notice like when Irving and like Ad- I almost called him Atticus. I did yes. Joe, when Joe and Irving were talking, and you know basically Joe saying there's not going to be a story. I'm not going to write it, and Irving's like, what do you mean you're not going to write it? When they're talking in his apartment. The, the camera just goes only on Joe and Irving's in the conversation, but he's completely <laughs> out of frame. And there's even like one part like where his arms a little bit in it. And then they, then they make sure and correct that and completely cut him out. And I thought, wow. I mean, I, I judging by, it's almost like Gregory Peck was like camera on me, camera on me. You, you put that camera on me. He's not important. And I know that's not what happened. I don't think. Yeah, no, I, I don't think I re- recall it from until you mentioned it. But I don't have a good justification for that one. Yeah, that was just, I remember it was like, there are two people in this conversation. <laughs> you should put one on the left and one on the right. Not one looking at the camera and the other off screen. Or like, you didn't even shoot over the shoulder. <laughs> like, but they probably got a voice actor. He was sick or something. Yeah. They had to dub it and it was just someone else's hand. Now I will say this. They made the night shots in Rome look really, really good. 
And uh, so, I mean, Vinay, talk about, you've been to Rome. So so I've been to Rome, but it was literally before I moved to West Virginia. So I barely remember it. Okay. Um, Like I do, like I remember our hotel was right by the Spanish Steps, which is, you know, where he runs into her uh, accidentally. Yeah, Yeah, just after she buys July. Air quotes. Yeah. And so, yeah, that was obviously my favorite thing about them filming and like uh, filming in Rome. And like you were talking about the scooter scene by the Coliseum, my vague memory of that trip as the Coliseum is literally far away from everything else. So that seemed like a good time to do it because it's not a really good walking scene because it's out by a busy road and it's far away. And so it's like, oh, just have a scooter go by and like everyone will recognize that they're in Rome because they're by the Coliseum. Yeah, yeah. I think they did an amazing job of picking their sights to go around Rome and really captured a flavor for it. The other thing I forgot to mention is that I had never heard of the Mouth of Trudes until I watched this movie, and I immediately became disappointed that that was not one of the places I saw when I was in Rome. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Yeah, it's like uh, when uh, Robert De Niro hooks Ben Stiller up to a lie detector test only about, you know, 2,000 years before that. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, very similar. Meet the parents, sure. <laughs> Russell's trying here, and I'm just angry. Meet the royals. Yeah. yeah. No. <laughs> it's okay. No, sir. <laughs> Chad, what did you think about the the Rome and Italy settings here that we have here in the film? Less fun right now in this in this second uh, as far as Italy goes, but I love Rome. I've been enchanted with it since I was young. I, I took classical studies until I figured out uh, I was actually going to get a major in classical studies until we didn't have a Greek teacher at WVU, so I couldn't get it. <laughs> I took the Latin, the Spanish. Didn't get the French or the Greek. So, yeah, I am all for Rome being featured. It's great. Yeah, and I'm guessing this was a big boost for why you enjoyed the movie. Like, if this were uh, not Roman holiday, if this were, like, um, you know, Atlantic City holiday, I'm guessing you're not going to enjoy this as much. (laughs) You are correct, sir. (laughs) Cheap lights of Vegas or something like that. Yes. Yeah. Although Uh, it would be fun seeing Princess Anne going to the casino and playing around with that. Palace? Yeah. See. Oh, okay. Okay. Making the connection there. Very good. For me, I just I, I was impressed time and time again. They they opened up on St. Peter's Cathedral in the beginning. They they did the Spanish steps as Vinay mentioned that are wonderful. Uh, there's the Castle Santiago. That's that that this is the one that really struck me. There's a cylindrical building when they're on like a party on the docks, yes. and behind them there's this beautifully illuminated um, way 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 up on the like seems like on it's a mountain but it's all man-made and it was initially uh, commissioned by Roman Emperor Hadrian as a mausoleum for himself and his family. And uh, there's this beautiful, beautiful bridge, and all of this is really well lit at night. And so I keep punching on the cinematography and stuff like that, but then it has these really wonderful achieving moments as well. So there's just a lot of really great scenes in here. The Colosseum, obviously, as well. There's great shots of the Tiber River in Rome. One of the one of the large uh, one of Rome's largest palaces, the Sale Granada Galleria was the like where they finished the movie with the press conference at the end too. So uh, it's just dripping with beautiful scenes in Rome. They, they, they seemingly checked so many of them off. It's interesting. They didn't do the Pantheon. Yeah. It's hard to get to. It's on a hill. I'd like to think there's a deleted scene in there. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> or, you know, we're out of budget. Oh, well, that's for sure. Yeah, that's true. Not a wide, there's no wide angle enough lens to capture all of that. So, uh, <laughs> Um, the, the environment had so much to do with it. Now, one of the things that when you go back and watch a movie like this, Vinay, what are the things that have aged to you? Or is it just holding up pretty well for you? 
That's a good question. I'd say it holds up pretty well. I mean, that's one of the reasons I like to watch it over and over again. Uh, I will say it was interesting to me because the first time I watched it, I had not become a physician yet. And so now, like, when she gets something to help with her anxiety, I'm like, oh, it's a benzodiazepine. Like, I understand this movie so much better now that I'm a doctor. But uh, not really, but it was just funny to me that I now understood what she was getting. No, I, I, I think, I, I can't think of a scene that really, other than maybe the cinematography of them leaving poor uh, Irving out of the shot that doesn't really hold up to today's standards. Oh, I can. What, what, what doesn't hold up to today? Man, when when Joe first encounters Anne and he assumes she's drunk and she's laying down, I'm like, nope, 2020, leave that woman alone. Don't put her in the cab. No, sir, do not take her back. Do not give her clothes. You got to leave. You got to get a different place. No, no, 2020, nope. Uh, in fairness, he's a total gentleman. Yeah, it doesn't matter. He's about to get me too. Um... She is concerned the next morning, which is another yes. which is another endearing quality that Hepburn turns on because she does the like I'm stressed out. She she transitions to uh, you know the I'm all drugged up really well, and then she transitions again to I'm scared, and then she transitions to I'm having this wonderful day on the town kind of thing, and then sad that it's all over. She covers a pretty wide range of emotion in that. So yeah, she's just like I've I don't get undressed in front of other people, and I certainly don't wear other people's clothes. It's like. Except she also doesn't dress herself. She has other people do it for her. Yeah. True. Yeah. It's most unusual. Um, <laughs> yeah, that, that was fun. But that entire scene, I'm just, you know, 20, 20 times. I'm like, mm, I don't know. I don't know if you do this now. He, he did like uh, uh, patted her face. Uh, like I, I was uh, and gave her a good shaking. As uh, But uh, but aside from that, I think most of the, what Gregory Peck does is gentlemanly enough. I think it would pass the past the uh, quota for today's standpoint, but I thought just what was funny was like, they gave her her first cigarette. Like, yeah. it was like, like everyone's like, Oh, here, start smoking. <laughs> oh, that's adorable. Look at how she's smoking. And you I'm get, sitting there going like, that's weird today. You get that family guy advertisement of smoke, yes. smoke. <laughs> uh, if you go back a little bit before this, everybody's smoking constantly. Yeah. Like again, back to asphalt jungle that we did earlier this year. It's just like, everybody's smoking constantly <laughs> like so um there's less smoking in this but i still they, they worked it in there for sure yeah i thought it was interesting it bothered me to see uh a wardrobe moment here but gregory peck as he was running through the streets of rome had his tie tucked into his pants yeah now, now pants are taller back then but i i just it's a pet peeve of mine like i, I don't i don't want to see that tie tucked into your pants that was the other thing that just made me go ah you just want to flinging back and forth like a pendulum when he's running down the street. Yes, it, it adds to the it adds to the nature of running. It adds to the frantic sense of like I want to see the back. Like you know how like a tie has like the the part that you see and the part that folds in the back. Yeah. I want to see both parts flailing out like, <laughs> in the wind. I, I want that. And I, and his hair's never messed up. You're heavily. Well, you would have been okay if he'd used a tie clip. Oh, oh, well, that's a good point. You're heavily influenced by Superman because I saw you even kind of reaching to do the Superman tear open the shirt thing with the. Yeah, with I, the tie flapping in the I, I do love Superman, it's true. This is your Clark Kent is running in his tie waves, and if it's good enough for Superman, it's good enough for Gregory Peck. You're right. And honestly, if you had to cast Superman back in 1953, which they did not, but if you did, I think I would want Gregory Peck to be my Superman now that we're on this subject. All right, I'm done with that. Yeah. Uh, he's less wooden than Henry Cavill. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Go watch The Witcher. It's his job to be wooden then. Okay. It's good. Yeah. Chad, did you have any fun wardrobe takeaways? 
I thought the court costumes were really nice. Everything else seemed kind of pretty standard 50s fare, but I guess when it turns out that they're actual Italian nobility, they may have even brought in some of their own costumes. The thing that goes on top of Audrey Hepburn's head yes. at the end when she's being a princess again looked like something that was out of a sci-fi movie. My my thought kept going to Gary Oldman's uh, performance in Fifth Element with a glass shield over the top of his head. <laughs> so uh, I was like, that is an odd choice for cranium accessories it's more what country is she from certainly not britain Ooh. <laughs> yeah but hey did you, anything capture you from the uh, wardrobe side of things i'm gonna go the other direction i really like the the commoners of the market like the giant guy wearing his tank top who's like very angry at them and then he says oh we're getting married and then he's like oh well then let me give you a kiss i had a little bit of a hard time tracing that the first time like because like they're just playing music and i kind of want to hear the dialogue for what they like how they talk themselves out of that situation because there's 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 a music number that goes over there yeah i think there's i think there's a possibly funnier explanation if we hear what some (laughs) of the things they're saying are because there is the uh, like kind of smile and nod with the judge and like Irving's like, ah, yeah, yeah, we're part of the press. Yeah. Which I don't think that works that way. I don't think you can just break any part of the law and be like, don't worry, we're media members. The media was much tamer. Like even at the end presser, they were all politely waiting their turn. I'm just thinking nowadays, they're all screaming and shoving their cell phones towards the people. And there's a million different questions. It was so polite and civilized. You're right about that. And I do think the press was more respected back then, too. Yeah. Probably. Yeah, we're not inviting, uh, I'm afraid of it, offending anyone. So I'm just going to say terrible newspapers. Uh, National Enquirer isn't being invited. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, true. Be interesting with those reporters at the end, how many of those newspapers still exist. Like, I think there were like three from New York. And I was like, are all of them? Like, none of them were the Times either. Like, how many of these newspapers still exist? They're also very American-centric for being in Italy and Rome and like a European yeah. uh, event. So obviously it's a movie made for American releases, so they're comforting people. At the end of the production, Paramount Studios actually presented Audrey Hepburn with her entire wardrobe for the film. They gave her everything, uh, hats, shoes, handbags, jewelry, dresses, and they intended them to be wedding presents. But soon after the production, Hepburn ended her engagements to her uh, engagement, James Lord Hansen. So that didn't happen, so... And Gregory Peck was actually coming off of a uh, divorce and was kind of bitter to come into this one. Was kind of, uh, you know, in a funk himself, but ended up he met his uh, future wife while filming this movie. So they they both met their future spouses in the course of this movie. Yeah. Like he married some Italian woman or? Yes. Yeah, they were married for 60 some years, something like that. Yeah, Veronique Pisani. Yeah, you're right. They they remained spouses for many, many, many years after that. So 60s is probably too much. But <laughs> yeah, it was a long time. Yeah, certainly by Hollywood standards yeah. by today. <laughs> so even better that Cary Grant turned it down. Uh, for sure. Peck spoke very highly of working with Hepburn years past because there was a documentary with him. And I mean, he spoke very highly, obviously, of working on this movie and working with her and probably a happier memory for him because he's coming off of a bad beat in his life. And then, like I said, you meet your future wife and, you know, you get to hang out in Rome and you know, you're in a successful movie, so uh, he looks back on this very fondly. Other things that people looked on it fondly, the Vespa 2 stroke scooter that uh, kindled an unprecedented public interest. So people wanted that scooter after this movie. <laughs> ciao. You watch Eddie Izzard, he's just like, all Italians do is ride uh, scooters and go ciao. Also, this movie kind of went viral in Japan, and the haircut 
that Princess Anne gets in this became very popular in Japan. Huh. That okay. I just it, <laughs> what it, a random factoid. That was popular uh, out of that. I I I cringed. Uh, the, her uh, her hairstylist didn't want to cut. It. He's like, this much? No. This much? No. This much? No. And then she's like, this much. And he likes this. Like he almost makes this like bitter face of like no <laughs> and uh I, I i one of the things that made me because i hadn't really seen an audrey hopper in action but uh particularly in the beginning she had the long hair and everything like that i was like wow she's really pretty and stuff like that so i think i've always seen her with short short hair or pulled back or up and stuff like that and so to some degree part of that like oh i get it kind of moment was was seeing her in the first part of the movie yeah but she's very endearing so it's it's a personality thing too if you had to cast somebody today as being Princess Anne. Somebody came to my mind right away. By chance, did you guys think about anything like that? Amy Adams for me. The closest thing for me is Enchanted. Oh, good I, choice. I really think she comes off as this innocent but glowing and you're just magnetic personality. So yeah, I'm going with Amy Adams. What about you, Vinay? Uh, well, I have to say like, when you asked the question, I kind of thought about it more for the era, and I wasn't really familiar with too many other actresses from the era to think about it. If we're talking about nowadays, I feel like Zoe Deschanel kind of gives that same vibe. Mm, I like that too. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Okay. I would have gone with Anne Hathaway. All right. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah. Princess Diaries. That's a little lazy. That's a different kind of movie. <laughs> that has a happy ending. Yes. Yes, it does. That's a little more paint by numbers. But it's still pleasant. But then there's a second one. I didn't know about that. Oh, yeah. Okay. Uh, I actually kind of enjoyed the first one. All right. Guilty pleasure? I'm going to let that go. Guilty pleasure, I guess. (laughs) Um, So, what would you think about the musical score on this one, Vinay? You guys are kind of comparing it to Ben-Hur, and I haven't listened, seen Ben-Hur. That is not a good comparison, (laughs) because that is a great score. Um, Um, I mean, I think the music fit the, the lightness of the film. And also, but also felt very European. Hmm. Okay. What about you, Chad? Yeah. I, at first when we got that brassy score, I was like, ah, oh, here's the William Wyler type film I know. And then that just went away. But there yeah. were, there were waltzes for the, the dances and that felt nice. But otherwise, Benet kind of nailed it. It's just kind of light European fare. I would have liked to have seen some singing. Like when they were at the party that night in the background now you don't have to like put it like all up in your face but like i just thought some italian singing particularly at the party okay would have been a fun thing to throw in there uh nothing stuck with me on this one so i can't give it like soaring reviews on the soundtrack i did i i had the right feel for when they wanted me to have the feelings but i can't say the music added a lot this time no that's fair for me for me yeah and a, a lighter tone movie perhaps that's more acceptable but i still think music can serve the mood especially when you have that romance element of this you guys ready to hand out some awards i'm ready let's do it Vinay, why don't you give us the honor and start us off with your mvp uh, no, that has to be audrey hepburn right it's it, it seems like yeah it does yeah <laughs> yeah the, the, sometimes when you ask one of these awards this is a standard template you know the answer before you ask it so uh better question though best supporting actor who would it be so that's got to be eddie albert i think Eddie Albert? Okay. Now, what did he do for you in this? Because uh, Eddie Albert's playing the kind of traditional goofy friend. Yes, sir. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I think he did a really good job of creating this sense of like the, the, the comedic escape without 
interfering with Gregory Peck and Audrey Hepburn's romantic connection. So you can kind of just like separate from their relationship, have these great moments of levity. I liked that he had that heart change as well at the end, even though he was not nearly as invested in this relationship as much as uh, Joe was. So when he handed the pictures over at the end, that was another part that made me feel like, wow, two guys with integrity. Like, right? you know, yeah, I know that, that, that felt good. How do you not have the sleaze bag friend? Everyone has the sleaze bag friend. Yeah. I, I will ask, what did you think at the end where like they're going to tell her that not to worry, but the first thing he does is pulls out his lighter camera and I was like, if that was me, that would freak me out. <laughs> yeah, she was like, oh, you took pictures of me the whole time. Yay. And I was like, that's a strange response. Yeah, I'm with you, man. Uh, I guess she had felt properly disarmed by the uh, public yeah. conversation back and forth. But Chad, what about you? Who's your best supporting? Well, I'm going to go back to MVP for just a second. I was really tempted for William Wyler. But uh, Audrey Hepburn did, did edge him out. For best supporting, and this is odd because he's the title guy. I have to go with Gregory Peck. You can't pick Peck. He's not supporting. He's, I can't. He's a main actress and a main actor. He he had his lead role usurped, and he supported Audrey Hepburn. Wow. Okay. I I can't put him in a supporting actor because he's too much of like one of the main two. So I'm, I'm going to go with Paolo Carlini. He's Mario Delaney, the, the hairdresser. I, now the hairdresser initially made me think, okay, this was a hairdresser scene where he wins his points is in the party. He dances with them and uh, he gets in the fight. And uh, I love this character. You were a huge fan of the hairdresser. I don't know. He just, when he got in the fight and like, as if to say like, Hey, that guy let me dance with his uh, date. I'm going to go fight with him. Like that's not a normal thought. I, I feel like between this and don't mess with the Zohan, like if you put a hairdresser in, Russell's on board. <laughs> I want to cut the hair. <laughs> no, it's a good point. But what an uh, odd comparison I didn't expect to make tonight. There's a, Yeah, that's actually did not see that coming. Um, so, uh, yeah, th- this movie is very top two heavy in fairness. So, I mean, I think Vinay definitely made the obvious choice, but uh, I, I, I don't know. I'm. Paolo uh, Carlini gets mine. You stole my hidden gem because that's who I was going to list for the hidden gem. Well, oh, man. You know, it's a, it is a small cast because when you ran down the cast log, I did find myself going like, there's not a lot of, um, you know, there's not a lot to choose from. There right. seems to be some obvious choices on this one. It's a, it's a tight cast. Maybe the result of having a more restrictive budget. Chad, well, okay, so Vinay's hidden gem is Paolo Carlini. Who is your hidden gem? Alfredo Rizzo, who plays the taxi driver, I thought his entire scenes were funny. <laughs> he, he's having that Italian to English conversion issue. and He knows a strange amount of English to not know any English. Yeah, I don't know what the equivalent of Italian English like Spanglish is, but uh, it, it was pretty much that. And they kept telling, telling him, oh, she lives at the Coliseum. Wrong address. Wrong address. <laughs> <laughs> and he was just great. The arguments he's having with Gregory Peck is a very loopy Anne is being shoved in the back. And he's just like, can you get rid of her, please? No. No sleeping in my car. Yes, no sleeping in the car. Uh, that's that's a good choice. I'm going to go with, and I couldn't find, because the character name's a little bit odd, but they mentioned him earlier. I like the fat guy who's wearing just the undershirt, who's absolutely covered in hair, who comes out of the civic settlement, I should say. I'm not yeah. really sure what kind of trial this is. And uh, he kisses uh, Gregory Peck, and he kisses Audrey Hepburn. Then just looks at, uh, you know, Eddie Albert and shakes his hand and then moves forward. <laughs> I, I, I like that scene. What a character he was. So that's my hidden gem. Very good. Now, recast, 
this is kind of a different question from what we were talking about. So if you had to recast somebody in this movie, who would you recast if you had to, Vinay? Um, I guess maybe making uh, her, if we're saying that she's in fact a British nobility, that maybe some of her supporting cast should be more British as well as instead of Italian. Mm-hmm. Okay. But like, from any one major, I don't think I want to change anything. Throw in Judy Dench somewhere. Okay. <laughs> yes. That always makes a movie better, I'm pretty sure. It does. Now, Chad, if you had to recast somebody. Except for Cats. Okay. <laughs> Chad, who, well, it wouldn't be better without her. Uh, well, it shouldn't have been. It shouldn't exist. But yeah, I, I think I'm going to go with a more modern recasting. Hartley Powell is Joe's editor. I think I want to see J.K. Simmons. <laughs> I want the J. Jonah oh, Jameson That would flair. be great. Yeah. No, no stretch either. I may have tipped my hand earlier, but Margaret Rollins, who plays the Countess uh, Vereberg, yeah. uh, she's, I'm definitely coming after her. I got no concern off of her. She's so uptight. And I loved all of that. She nailed it. I, I don't want that, but I, I do. I, I, I'm going to go with Angela Lansbury. Okay. And even in attempts to get an older actress, she's still a little bit on the young side for yeah. the role. But uh, I can assure you from having seen her from some other movies in the past, she never looked young. <laughs> she was born ex- exactly how you know her from Murder, She Wrote. That's how she looked always. <laughs> so, that's um, her. Yeah. That's my recasting in there. Best shot of the movie, Minet. I've got to go back to the Mouth of Truths. That is a great shot, yes. Okay, yeah, so uh, the where they zoom in and... Yes, the one you don't like. Yeah, yeah you're yeah. making Russell sad over yeah, here. But... I, I, that was I, that was one of those ones where... That's, can we do that again? If I were William Wyler, like, I'd get my little bullhorn like, hey, uh, we got to go back and do that again. Yeah, and William Wyler's holding up his Oscar in one hand and a middle finger in another. Uh, <laughs> what do I know? That's true. Chad, what about you, man? I went with an early scene where there's a shot under... Uh, princess anne's dress of just her feet and you can tell that she's uncomfortable like she's messing around with her shoe and it really conveys that she's not not happy with where she's at she's kind of bored and it's pensive and then she loses the shoe on top of that and it just adds this comedic tension no that's great choice that was a creative shot so yeah chad likes the under the dress shot Oh, yeah. None of that comes off well, but Quentin Tarantino would back me on the foot shot. Um, so uh, my last shot, and this is a tough one. I I think that I liked the dance between Joe and Anne. Uh, they're dancing and they kind of hold the camera in place. And because of how they're dancing, you see Joe's face. They turn 180 degrees. You see Anne's face. They turn, they see Joe's face, they see Anne's face. And then without even changing the camera, they kind of refocus their bodies. And then you see both of their faces together. And you see how they're just dancing to enjoying themselves to this is really a nice moment. And it's a really nice transition. A lot of it's choreography, but also good good credit on the camera for staying focused there. So that's my choice there. Good choice. Very yeah. Cinderella, Beauty and the Beast-esque. I've noticed a pattern on this, this, these superlatives. I tend to be the sappy one. So, um, best scene of the movie, Vinay. Um, definitely the party turning into a fight. Okay. Yeah. That's, that's mine too. Need a, everybody was Kung Fu fighting. Yeah. Was this yours as well, Chad? Or did you no. go in another direction? I actually really like the scene where Joe's attempting to move Anne while she's sleeping on his bed and he okay. pulls out this couch and I just didn't see him setting up everything and then just flipping her onto the couch. It was so comedic and out of good. nowhere. 
It was great. That was good. I thought he was going to sleep on the couch like a gentleman, but he, he still shows, eh, I'm not that nice. Flip. <laughs> yeah. Boy, but then he convinces her that she's bed. Yeah, I was going to yeah. say, he tosses her back on there later. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> No, that that's a that's a really good choice as well. And uh, I, I I'm gonna go with Vinay though with the it's a sweet Audrey Hepburn hitting somebody over the head with a guitar yes. and, then, uh, and then hit him again, Spitty. Yeah, I, we got ahead of ourselves. I was gonna say that's my favorite quote of the movie. Oh, is okay, okay. Now, uh, if you had to change one thing with this movie, Vinay, what one thing would you change? Um, so we talked about this a lot earlier. It was the fact that they did not name what country she was from. Oh, that oh, got yeah. on your skin. Okay, yeah. Okay. I was like, we could make up a country, we could put it in Eastern Europe, but just say something other than her country's embassy. Yeah. Yeah. She's from Latveria with Doctor Doom. Yeah. Yeah, she's from Blartonia. Yeah. <laughs> um, all right, uh, Chad, what is your change one thing? I'm actually afraid of stepping on your toes, Russell, but I want a happier ending. I'm really not sure how I make it work. And I think the ending makes this special, but I still kind of want to see Anne and Joe together. Okay, I have a similar thing, but you might not like this enough. So I'm going to end the movie not on Joe walking out towards the camera. I mean, you can show him walking out, but this is not the end of the movie. The end of the movie for me is someone looking on the mantle at, uh, back, at back in not England. Uh, <laughs> and uh, someone, someone says, you know, who is this? And it's a framed photo of Joe and Anne. And uh, she would just say, someone very special to me. And, okay. And uh, that would kind of show that there's a lifelong appreciation and connection, even though in another time and another place, things might have worked out. But is that a sweet enough ending? Does that help? Or that didn't, that didn't get you your happy ending, did it? I want her to go full Meghan Markle. Oh, full Meghan Markle. Okay. But I, I like the Lady of the Tiger sort of ending where you, in your mind, can project that, right? It's like, maybe she did do that. You don't know. Yeah. That's true. And that's the, that's kind of what I wrote for myself <laughs> afterwards because I just want to see because you don't see that full appreciation of her. You know, you've been walking around with him by him not writing the story. You know how much he's affected. You don't have that as much for her. Yeah. Well, I don't know. You, you're not wrong, but I also would say that when they first ask her, you know, what was your favorite part of this tour, and she's kind of like dismissive, and then later she's like, no, no, Rome. Even though I was sick the entire time, I will always remember Rome. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and I did like the people's, oh, <laughs> so happy. <laughs> if you had to pick a best quote of the movie, Vinay, what would it be? Uh, so I was saying, hit him again, Schmitty. You stole it from me, talking about the fight scene. Uh, like, Irvin being so frustrated that he missed the shot, and also the fact that he's calling her Schmitty the entire time. <laughs> yeah, hit him again, Schmitty, I think got my biggest laugh the first time I watched the film. Yeah, that, that was that was a fun moment. Sorry, sorry to steal your thunder on that one. What about you, Chad? I'm going back to my taxi driver friend when he's attempting to explain that he's got small ones at home. He's like, you know, bambino. Uh, wah! <laughs> I was like, that's a perfect description across all cultures and languages of what a baby is. <laughs> he's way too old to have a baby, though. Oh, that's not true. He's so old. Uh, he's in his 40s. It's fine. 40s? Yes. That's a hard 40. Okay. Well. <laughs> he's he's lived a hard life. I'm gonna write a backstory for this man. Again, he's, again, he's got Greg, bambinos. Greg, Gregory Peck stands out everywhere he goes <laughs> in this movie. Best quote of the movie for me is gonna be uh, so Princess Anne says this. He doesn't know it's Princess Anne Joe when she's in uh, at his house uh, when he's brought her home when there's nowhere else to take her, and uh, she goes, "I've never been alone with a man before." 
even with my dress on, <laughs> with my dress off, it's most unusual. <laughs> like, and she's so proper, but also kind of loopy. Yeah. And, um, <laughs> it's she's uh so, so playful and i just i i, I like how she's most unusual <laughs> uh again that's that charm that she had on that one it was straight out of that exchange with the lady in waiting that you don't like thank you no thank you thank you no thank you <laughs> <laughs> now Vinay, if you had to give this movie a rating on a five-star scale what would you rate this movie? Okay. Well, I was like, I chose this as one of my three favorite movies to discuss, so I feel like I have to give it a five-star rating. That's totally allowable, and when the fresh meter is all the way up at like 98%, you <laughs> kind of look bad if you come across with a two-star rating. So, Did you come across with a two-star rating, Chad? No. Good, good. <laughs> no, no. You're not about to sleepless in Seattle this. No, no. This movie is not Sleepless in Seattle. This is everything Sleepless in Seattle should aspire to. And if it's ahead of it, I am very frustrated. I don't know what the other three are. But uh, yeah, I sat here trying to make up an excuse. I'm like, am I really going to give a romantic comedy five stars? But here we are. Five stars. I I cannot wait to watch this with my wife. Like I didn't watch it with her the she first time. She didn't watch time. it with you? She's actually a little annoyed with me. That's a sore spot. So don't bring that up to her later. But yeah, we're... But like, how couldn't you have... Uh, yeah, I, I'm quietly watching a romantic <laughs> movie in by myself. On his own. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I feel like I should have been eating pizza rolls and just been playing all by myself in the background. But yeah. That's where I am. So Sarah's a little upset with me. You're not going to like one of them. Uh, so so City Lights with Charlie Chaplin is, okay. is number one. All right. But number two is Annie Hall. Yeah, yeah that's yeah. controversial. Yeah, that's yeah. where I knew you would come away with that. And then it happened one night. Don't know that three, one. So, yeah. Okay. Um, it's it's an iconic well, movie as well. You watch with Sarah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it would improve your watching list probably. I hope so. Although not Annie Hall. That's not a feel-good movie. Mm. Yeah. Anyway. Uh so what'd you say? You I went with five. Five star. I can't rating? believe it. But yeah, five. Wow. Good choice, Vinay. Thank you. I. Well, I'm, I'm bringing up the caboose on this one with four point five. I I I I went four point five. But half a star better than Sleepless in Seattle. It's still better. It will be higher yeah. on my ranking. So if I somehow between now and then slip or remind me, you can you can correct me at the end of the year yes. with rankings. But yeah, no, this is this is a really good movie. Yeah. Is this the highest you've rated a romantic comedy? Well, yeah, a romantic comedy. I'll be honest with you, and I, I probably should have mentioned this earlier, but I have not seen much of this genre. Uh, my dating experience in high school was non-existent, and then I'm I married a woman who doesn't really like rom-coms, uh, and uh, like she, <laughs> she likes science fiction and comedies and action and these things like that. So I haven't really watched many of them, and uh, I honestly have a higher threshold than most guys. Chad will tell you this. Um, mm. So uh, I'll be honest with you. This is probably Gosh, I don't want to get hot take it and say it's the best one I've seen, but it, it's it's right. Also, I th- I think it's the best one I've seen, and I have seen an upsetting amount of them. <laughs> Russell gets very distressed when going through the catalog of how many I've been forced to see. This is a genre my wife likes. Dude, I've told this story on this podcast before, but it bears repeating. We were at a Barnes and Noble back when they had DVDs, back when they had bookstores, and like we went to like the romantic comedy Fry's section. mad at you right now. And like, <laughs> that's just very true. And um, so I'm flipping through the movies in the section, and like I'm just like 
jokingly saying, Chad, you must have seen this one. He goes, I have. It was terrible. And I flipped behind. I was like, what about this one? <laughs> and he's like, I've seen that one too. And like, I went through them and he had seen like all but like five. And the, that, that's a large section. The horror on your face just grew <laughs> each I, I time. Was, I was like, there's no way you've seen this one, is there? And like, I have. And like, Twice. <laughs> and so I'm like, because my first thought was, who's buying these movies? <laughs> Much less watching them. <laughs> and I was shocked that you had just, you know, your your hit percentage was as good as me in like comedy or yeah. sci-fi like yeah rom-com and horror is apparently where you get the most volume for me you're an expert in the genre <laughs> whether you wanted to be or not when you set out to be so so your hot take is uh best rom-com i think so i really do i think well i'm glad i kind of introduced you to that yeah now now that i know that you are the rom-com expert uh yeah i've got work to do extensive i don't want to be i want someone else to have this job if you like rom-coms please <laughs> write in you rated 10 things i hate about you way higher than friar and i did though I, like a three that's way <laughs> okay <laughs> and, and that was how to lose a guy in 10 days he's still doing it to this day did i mess it up again yes you did i don't think i'll ever say those two movies correctly you will not um one of them has McConaughey. the other does not correct that's true we watched the one with mcconaughey can it really be a rom-com without him though <laughs> <laughs> not to my wife no joseph gordon levitt's in the other one yes as is uh why can't i remember uh, Heath ledger so yes. it's true yep complete tangent let's pick a movie for next time <laughs> russell let's pick yeah. a movie for next time thank you uh let's go to uh the land of fantasy why don't we all right we just had some fantasies in rome but sure uh no like go on. we're going like mythological like you know you know, okay. Uh, f- fantasy here. Um, I'm down for that. Yeah, fairy tale type fantasies. Time Bandits from 1981 is your first option. A young boy accidentally joins a band of time traveling dwarves as they jump from era to era looking for treasure to steal. If you like the Monty Python crew, uh, this is them. No. Uh, not officially, like it's pieces of them. Uh, option two Legend from 1989 this is a ridley scott production and this is follow-up to blade runner a young man must stop the lord of darkness played by tim curry from destroying daylight and marrying the woman he loves okay very interesting and option three the brothers grim from 2005 will and jake grim are traveling con artists to encounter a genuine fairy tale curse which requires a true courage instead of their usual bogus exorcisms that did not look good. <laughs> it's not rated well, but it does look fun. I'm remembering the previews. I feel like we're contractually obligated on the show to select the Tim Curry movie. So I'm going to select the Tim Curry movie. Tim Curry is the favorite son of this show, you, I think. I don't think you can go wrong. So let's see if legend f- lets me down. Come I've on. never had a Tim Curry not get a superlative for me. So <laughs> yes. we'll, we'll see if that continues. All right. Um, that can be arranged. <laughs> <laughs> let's see how legend goes down yeah all right ridley scott's legend from 1985 a young tom cruise is in it as well oh yeah this this may not go as well. <laughs> <laughs> or is it old tom cruise is he in disguise and pulling off a mask in it we'll, we'll find out <laughs> uh Vinay, thank you so much we had a lot of fun man yes thank you oh thank you for having me it was good catching up absolutely it was and to all the Lords, ladies and knights of the Retro Movie Roundtable, we invite you to reach out to us. We want to hear from you. So subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, YouTube, wherever you get your podcasts. Those reviews really help the show out. They tell us how we can make the show better, and they help others find the show, and that's a big help for us. Give us a like on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter at, at movie underscore retro. Uh, email us at retromovie.com 
roundtable at yahoo.com, all one word. And if you want to help the show out, we're on Patreon at www.patreon.com forward slash retro movie roundtable. Any contribution is appreciated, and we will put that right back in the show to make it better for you. As always, thank you for listening. Be good to each other and watch more movies. Chad? It may be normal, darling, but I'd rather be natural.